Happy Labor Day weekend uh, to everyone. Uh, lovely weather we have uh, to celebrate sort of the uh, informal ending of summer. Uh, it's a great time for, for families to get together, to have some barbecue maybe. Uh, college football returns. I pray your team won yesterday. If they didn't, there's always next week. But, but this weekend is also another important uh, thing in the life of our church. Uh, it's the start of our budget year. Uh, our budget year runs from September to August. And last week, uh, those of you that were at the business meeting, you voted uh, to uh, accept our budget for the year. And as a part of that, and, and why we have that budget, is not just so we can collect a bunch of money. No, uh, there's a purpose behind that. Uh, and it's really about our vision. Uh, and that vision uh, is, uh, I'm gonna, sh there you go, I'm gonna do that first. Uh, our vision uh, is this, and you've heard me say it a few times over the last three years, once or twice, uh, we will prepare and send disciple-making missionaries. That's the first two big parts, prepare and send disciple-making missionaries. Uh, we want to launch you out uh, and to launch ourselves out as disciple-making missionaries, people who follow after Jesus well, but also help others follow Jesus well. Uh, a disciple is both a learner and one who goes. And so that's what we want to be is one who learns to become more like Jesus and is out on mission, uh, helping to do several things strengthen families, uh, love our neighbors, and transform our communities with the gospel. Uh, we might be pretty cool, uh, but that doesn't change anybody. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And so, in order to help us fulfill that vision, uh, we have a budget. And, and that budget for this year, for 2022-2023, is $1.746 million. And all you math majors out there, you know that that's $33,500 a week. That's what we need. And so I want to thank you, church family, uh, for your faithfulness in the past uh, and how we've been able to uh, meet all of our needs uh, up to this point. And I trust and challenge you uh, to do the same moving forward. Uh, and we have about 350 or 400 families in our church. And uh, if all of us made the median income uh, here in Greater Southeast Houston, which is about 90000 a year per household, uh, we should have about $4 million uh, to work with. And so just as a challenge to you uh, about how we should give generously and faithfully uh, to advance the kingdom uh, of God. And so that's my prayer this year is that we would do that so we can uh, be disciple-making missionaries. The other reason I shared that with you today is because it actually applies to our sermon uh, in a few minutes, which is in 1 Samuel. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this wonderful woman named Hannah, uh, this godly uh, woman who was struggling for much of her adult life because she wanted to have a child and she couldn't. But year after year after year, she prayed and asked God for a child, and he finally answered her prayer. Um, that's how we get the man, the young man, Samuel, who this book is named after. Uh, Samuel, and she devotes Samuel to the Lord. And so Samuel is now growing up um, at the temple uh, under the care of Eli, who is the priest. And Hannah's very grateful for that. She gets to see her son once a year uh, when she and her family uh, go and worship uh, and present their offering and their sacrifice to the Lord. Now, Eli, the priest, he has two sons, and they are both servants in the temple. And we're going to read about 
the difference between his two sons and Samuel today. So there's lots of great lessons in this and a lot of little sub points that we're going to maybe dive into a few, but it's, it's a wonderful contrast uh, of, of what self-serving worship looks like and, and what true worship looks like. And so follow along with me as we see quickly how wonderful Eli's sons are. First Samuel chapter two, verse 12. This is what it says. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. What a, what a rousing endorsement about the guys who serve the priest, their dad, by the way. They did not know the Lord. That was their big problem. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. They had many ways to give their offering just like we do. All that the fork brought up, that was really funny. <laughs> Only pastors get those kind of jokes though. So, so that while, they, while the people were worshiping, the priest servant would plunge his fork into the pot, cauldron, or pan and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now, skip down to verse 22, and we're going to see how this little pattern continues. Now, Eli was very old, so that's the father of these two guys, these servants. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? but they would not listen to the voice of their father for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, Eli, who is the priest, he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They are servants of the priest. So they are servants in the temple. And while people, the nation of Israel is coming, or not the whole nation, the people who would come to Shiloh where they were to worship would bring their offering, would bring their sacrifices, and that sacrifice, that offering was meat. And so as the law states in Leviticus chapter three, and again in chapter seven, it was okay for the priest to take the meat, get the fork, after the meat is boiled, stab it, 
take out what you want. That accomplished several things. One, it's how the priest was provided for. Uh, Two, it was the way that God wanted the sacrifice to be made. And three, it allowed the person, the Israelite, the Hebrew, to worship in the proper way. But here, what's happening is Hophni and Phinehas are taking the meat before it's completely boiled, before the fat is burned off. Keeping the fat on the meat is great for barbecue, not good for worshiping the Lord, okay? So that's the difference here. Like, you know, you want the moist meat at Rudy's, that's fine. But to worship the Lord, the fat had to be burned off. That was what God said, because that was, according to Leviticus, that was God's portion. And so this is a very specific way in which God wanted the people to honor him and wanted the priest to be taken care of. So there's lots of things happening around this boiled meat. It's very important. We, we don't need to worry about that today, praise the Lord, because we have Jesus. Uh, and Jesus was our once and for all sacrifice. But for Eli and the nation of Israel, they were not supposed, the priest was not supposed to take it early and the priest was not supposed to eat the fat. It was against the law. And so here you have his sons, who are the servants, doing both things wrong, taking it too early, and eating the fat of the meat, and, if that's not bad enough, bullying the worshipers, bullying the people of God. Basically, if you don't give it to me, I'm going to take it by force. Like the crazy part of that is the, the worshiper, that this sort of anonymous worshiper that they give is like, hey, if you'll just wait, I'll give you as much as you want. Sort of a sad state that the regular guy who came from his little town to Shiloh is more godly than the servant of the priest. It's a terrible indictment on the servant of the priest. Oh, by the way, Eli's sons. The people were trying to worship and honor God and and these two brothers were making a mockery of it. it. It would be like a deacon or a Sunday school teacher in our day. So I, I try to help us get a modern context. It'd be like a deacon or a Sunday school teacher hovering over you while those of you over 45 maybe wrote a check for your tithe and said, I'll take 2%. You're like, well, no, this is for the Lord. No, uh, no, 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 no. I work for the Lord. I'm in leadership at the church. I need 2%. Or if Matt, Randy, Stephanie, David came to you while you're on your computer doing your online giving and said, you know, I, I, I know you want to tithe and, and you want to give to the work of the Lord generally. That's what God calls you to do. But you know what? My ministry area is really the most important. You, you know, what the pastor does, that Matt guy, I, you know, like really my, my area is more, but it's better if you give to me specifically. That, that's the equivalent for today. 
That it, as we're attempting to worship, as we're attempting to, to honor God with what we have, someone in leadership is trying to bend our ear toward themselves. So just as a general reminder, uh, worship has never been and never will be about personal gain. Now, that's not just true of leadership, that's true of you too. That when we walk into a moment of worship, whether that's a corporate gathering like this, or that you're in your home and you're studying the scripture and you're praying, that moment is not about you. That, that moment is about the Lord and his goodness and his mighty power, his holiness. The fact that he loved you enough to send his one and only son to die for you. Not for you to get something out of it. It's for you to recognize who he is and what he's done. And if it wasn't bad enough that Hophni and Phinehas were bullying the people of God, then they're corrupting the temple by, by having sex with the ladies that are trying to help. Like it goes from bad to worse. These guys are lowlifes because they don't know the Lord. That was the most valuable statement in this entire passage. They don't know the Lord. And when you don't know the Lord, you don't do godly things. And so because of their activity, because of what they were doing, and because they did not know the Lord, God was determined to punish them. And his punishment was death, capital punishment for them. Because sin has no place in the house of God. Now, the challenge for you and me is that we all recognize, just like Hophni and Phinehas and Eli and Samuel and even Eli or Samuel's parents, Elkanah and Hannah, and our good friend Peninnah, who's sort of the, you know, the enemy in that family, all of us come to the place of worship as sinners. All of us do that. Like none of us come to this moment or moments in, in your own private time with God perfect. But God is very serious about sin. And, and if you've been here the last few months as we looked at Hosea and even over these next few weeks in, in Samuel, it, it is a sober reminder about how serious God takes worship and about how serious God takes sin. That when we come to these moments where we gather together, we should come ready to encounter the living God. And if I'm coming to this moment ready to encounter the living God, I, I'm gonna come with a heart that is contrite, that is humble, that is that has been in a confessional that I've confessed where I've fallen short asking him to speak uh, to me and show me exactly who he is. And the beauty of this moment is that we come here in freedom. We come here freely, not because our government says we're free to do so. No, I come in freedom today because I know, I'm confident that my sin has been paid for. It's been covered. It's been wiped away. It's been washed clean. 
by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so when I come together, when we come together in worship, we come under that banner, the banner of Jesus, the one who's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And I don't want to come to this moment under that banner and mess it up because I've purposely sinned against him or against one of you. I, I, I don't want to walk into this place with that over me. I want to walk in clean and pure, contrite, humble. And, and that's the lesson here is we look at these two guys who made a mockery. Like they, 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 they treat it like a pagan temple. They treated the house of God like a, like a pagan temple. No, I want to come in humility and grace. I want to come with a pure heart because I know the sacrifice of Jesus made a way for me to do that. But as I read this passage about Eli's two sons, there's a a secondary lesson here as well. Parents, you have a responsibility to deal with disobedient children. We have a responsibility whether your child is 14 or 44. If they're messing stuff up in their own life, in your life, in anyone's life, you need to show them the truth. Eli, all he did was, you know, I hear some bad reports, boys. That's what he says. I hear some bad reports. No no discipline, no action, no nothing. And God was going to take them. Because Eli, the father, refused to deal with his disobedient children. So students, be wary. (laughs) Adults, uh, you have a parent too, so be wary. (laughs) Right? But, But there's a great lesson in here. Like Eli was not just their father, he was their leader in ministry. And he just let them do whatever they want. That's not God's call for any of us. No, we we have to show people the truth. We have to guide them to the truth in love. We have to show them the power of God. The greatest indictment of this whole passage is they did not know the Lord. Verse 12, well, why not, Eli? That's your responsibility, buddy. We have a responsibility to help guide and lead those who are under our care. And so as I look at Hophni and Phinehas, you can't help but but contrast that with Samuel because Samuel was, was the polar opposite of what these two young men were doing. Look look at look at verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. 
And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And then if you skip down past what we read, kind of the second part to verse 26, it repeats what was going on in Samuel's life. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. That might sound familiar about a certain carpenter's son a few years later. The young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. He grew in both stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. So sandwiched between these two kind of scandalous ideas, right? Stealing people's offering and having improper relationships with women at the temple is this young man, Samuel, whose mom and dad every year come to visit him and bring him a little robe. How cool is that? And he's there ministering to people, encouraging others. Eli still seemingly is connected to the Lord because he, he blesses Elkanah and Hannah and they have five more kids. If you remember last week, we talked about, she said seven, but she really only had six kids because Samuel was like a double portion of a child, like he was double, double winner. And so here they come to worship. And as the, the sins of Eli's son continue to rise, what is Samuel doing? He's growing in stature. He's getting older. But he's also growing in favor with the Lord and with men. Literally, the passage is he's growing with Yahweh. He's growing with God. His childhood is marked by divine favor. I'm always amazed in Scripture, time and time and time again, Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere throughout Scripture. Why is it that the youngest or the newest in the faith exemplifies the godliest characteristics? It baffles me that the youngest person in the room or the one who's newest in his or her faith is the one who exemplifies godly character in the greatest way. It should be the exact opposite. It should be the person who's long tenured in their faith, who's been around God a long time. They should be the one growing not in stature anymore in any direction, right? Should not be growing in stature. But they should be the one growing in favor with the Lord and with humanity. Should be them. But God uses over and over again examples of young people, of young in the faith, growing in godly character. That, that, that should be a challenge to all of us who have been people of faith for a long time. If you've followed Christ for a long time, you should still be growing. You should still be growing to look more like Jesus because God honors childlike faith. He honors childlike faith and he punishes self-serving ritual, which is what Hophni and Phinehas got to experience. When it's all about me, God doesn't want anything to do with that. But when you and I live a childlike faith, he grows us to become more like his son, Jesus. That's our calling, is to grow in favor with the Lord and with 
humanity. Unfortunately, Eli's sons didn't get that because God promised them something. He promised them death because of their sin. In verse 34, if you skip ahead towards the end of the chapter, in verse 34, it says, and this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It shall be a sign to you, both of them shall die on the same day. That's tragic. That's terrible. The, the, the worst experience for a parent is to lose their child and for Eli to lose both of his sons on the same day. Can you imagine the heartache that Eli would experience? But then the scripture goes on to say, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. God's gonna punish the sinful priests and servant of the priest by doing two things. One, Hophni and Phinehas will die. But the second thing he's gonna do is he's gonna eliminate the priesthood. God will eliminate the priesthood because he has one who is coming that he promises the faithful priest. He will raise up a faithful priest who will serve the king forever. And this faithful priest is actually the king and his name is Jesus. It's the book of Samuel foreshadowing the coming Christ Say there will be a faithful priest who would come, who would minister before the king, and that faithful priest is both priest and king. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one of God who will reign forever. One of the the lasting results of this passage and the sin of, of Eli is that we get our perfect priest in Jesus. That's a lasting result of the sin of the priest is that God will raise up the perfect priest in Jesus Christ. And as you and I come to a place of worship, we come, we, we say, are you going to worship today? You know, it's Sunday, are you going to worship? Well, we should worship every day. Uh, we live as worshipers. We don't go to worship, uh, but we live as worshipers. But when you come here, when you gather as a people of faith to worship the Lord, we worship the priest, the perfect priest, Jesus, who died in our place. He didn't have to kill something else, a bull or a ram or a goat, No, he was the sacrifice. He was the priest who died himself so that we could live forever and no longer have to boil meat. No, so that he would cover the penalty of our sin. And he is the king who lives forever. And so when you come to these moments of worship, 
Let me remind you why you come. Hophni and Phineas forgot. They never knew why. Eli understood his purpose. Excuse me, Samuel understood his purpose. I pray that we, like Samuel, understand our purpose when it comes to worship. It's about honoring our king. It's about acknowledging his might and power and his provision in our life. And so we offer ourselves in response to him. That's what the nation of Israel was doing when they came to Shiloh. They were offering themselves not just a pot of meat. They were offering themselves to the Lord. And so may we do that every time we come to moments like this. May we walk in the truth and live by the truth and not be distracted, not be swayed by others who might pull us away because of selfish motivation. Because that happens wherever we go, even in church. It happens wherever we go. So may we focus our attention on our one true King, Jesus. May we exalt him forever. Will you pray with me?